Welcome to The Compass, the weekly podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our series called From Rags to Riches, taken from the pages of the Letter to the Ephesians. Do you live in Northwest Arkansas and need a church home? Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can reach us by phone at 479-442-4634 or through email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is sharing again from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3-14 through 14, with the final installment of a message entitled, Count Your Blessings. Let's listen together. Ephesians chapter 1, page number 976 in the Pew Bibles. Thank you, Brother David, for leading us, singers, musicians, in a time of worship and praise. And we pray that it was to the praise of the glory of God. Amen? That's a theme of these two paragraphs that we have been looking at for at least two or three Sundays so far. And... Um, you know, someone might be thinking, oh, we're going to have to look at those verses again. Will we never move on in Ephesians chapter? Maybe not. We might not. We might just camp out here till Jesus comes. And I want to tell you, it's not a bad place to be. If this is all that God gave to us, there would be enough gospel here to save the world. If these two paragraphs, these 202 words comprising of one long sentence in the original Greek language. If this is all the scripture God gave to us, there would be enough for us to find joy and meaning in life. There would be enough for us to invest the rest of our lives studying what, believe it or not, in three or four Sundays, we're still just going to scratch the surface of it. And so I've entitled this, Count Your Many Blessings. It is a review of our riches in Christ. It is salvation from start to finish. For in these two paragraphs, we find that we were chosen by the Father. We were redeemed or saved by the Son. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that God has chosen us, that He has redeemed us, that he has given us an inheritance and that he has sealed us with the Spirit. So we've covered already the first two of those points. Verses 4 through 6 tells us that we were chosen by our Father and predestined for the blessings that he has for us. That means he chose us out to be the recipients of special favor and privilege. Child of God, you may not feel very special uh, in this world or in worldly things. The world around you may take you for granted and not think you're so special, but understand, to God you are. He looked ahead even before he created the universe and he saw you and he decided that he was going to foreknow you, to know you beforehand, not based on anything good in your life, not based on anything you might ever believe or not believe. 
not based on your choice. He knew you ahead of time and chose you. And according to Romans chapter 8, the Bible said He foreknew you, He predestined you, He called you, He justified you, and He uh, glorified you. All past tense, already in eternity, a done deal. So He chose us. And then He redeemed us in time and space in order to make His choosing a reality in time and space and in the story of the human race. We know how Adam and Eve chose to rebel and disobey God. We know how uh, because of that sin came into the world and death by sin. Romans tells us that in Adam we all died, but in Jesus Christ we can all live. And so Jesus Christ came. All the Old Testament scriptures of all the sacrifices and all the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of man's sin was all temporary. It was all of no effect were it not for the fact that it was looking forward to the one true Lamb of God, the one perfect sacrifice, who once and for all would offer his blood on the cross for our sins. And so Jesus came, was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death. In other words, he died in your place. You deserve to die, but he died for you. And he shed his blood that makes an atonement, a covering for the sins and the nakedness of sin and shame of human beings. That he was buried in a literal grave and on the third day that he rose from the dead, he was resurrected, he ascended back to heaven, he lives to make intercession for us today and he is coming back to gather his people someday Oh, Lord, let it be today. Have you got a single problem in your, world, in your life that wouldn't be made better if Jesus came back today? I think that solved just about every problem I've got. And I think yours as well. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the gospel. And so he redeemed us. He did all of that in order to save us. And the Bible says here in verses 7 through 10 that he lavished his grace upon us. It, with extravagance, he gave us and bestowed upon us grace upon grace upon grace. And I challenge you to think of the prodigal son, remember, who wasted his inheritance who rebelled against his father. He went to a far land and there ended up slopping hogs. It's a picture of mankind, how mankind went his own way. And he decided in his own righteousness that he would come back to his father and offer his father a deal he could not refuse. He was going to say, I left as your son, but listen, I'll be willing to come back as a servant to serve you. And the father sees him coming, and the father runs out to greet him, welcomes him home as a wayward son, lavishes his grace upon him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on his back, puts shoes on his feet, kills the fatted calf, goes over and beyond what anyone could ever expect or dream could happen. That's what God did when he saved your soul. 
what God did when he saved my soul. So we were chosen by the Father, we were redeemed by the Son. Finally, let's get to point number three and four. Amen? He gave us an inheritance. Number three, he gave us an inheritance. Verses 11 and 12 of our text. Listen to what it says. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him, that's God the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, the Father's will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That's the second time we encounter that phrase. It must have significance to the praise of his glory. Lord willing, we'll talk next week about what that phrase that we encounter three times in this passage, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Well, what does it mean when it says he gave us an inheritance? The word inheritance means a heritage. It is the gift of God to his chosen people. It is what God has chosen to give to you. It's not only life eternal, but it is the potential for life more abundant in this world. It's not an inheritance that's measured in the way of earthly goods. Understand, and our prosperity uh, preaching brothers uh, that tell us God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all these things, that if you just have enough faith, all these things will come to you, that you are to live above any kind of sense of need in this life. Understand, that is a lie that was birthed in the very pits of hell. If you think, and if you think God wants that for all of his people, go and read the last half of Hebrews chapter 11 about how they were sawn in two, about how they had their heads cut off, about how they were drawn and quartered, and all the suffering of saints through all the ages, except it seems like for you and me living in America today. There are people, by the way, that are experiencing that kind of torture and death for their faith right now while we are here. And understand that that kind of suffering, that's a part of God's plan also. This idea of prosperity being promised to us by God, what God promises us is an eternal prosperity. And what God promises us is the potential of joy in the midst of suffering, even here in this life. That sometimes the way that God calls for us to walk is going to be a painful way. It's going to be a difficult way. It's going to appear in the eyes of the world that God has abandoned us. But if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you find out that he is not. That he comes to the end of the chapter and he said, this world was not worthy of those people, those saints of mine who abundantly and with great joy embraced the suffering that came their way. So if it's not in this life, what is our inheritance? It is everything that God has promised us 
in the life to come. Let's walk through those couple of verses, 11 and 12, and kind of flesh them out just a little bit. It says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. It means to obtain the portion that has been assigned to us. Did you know that there is a portion of God's eternal riches even now in heaven that has been promised and assigned to you? We used to talk about and think about and we kind of blame it on our reading of uh, the King James of John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions. And I used to think when I was a young person growing up in church, wonder what mine's going to look like. I'm kind of excited about that. Because 1409 South Washington, where I lived in Little Rock, wasn't much of a mansion. It wasn't even a brick house. It wasn't in a new neighborhood. And I envisioned that mansion all my own. And then I get to the point in Bible college that you could read that out of the Greek language. And how our newer translations have corrected that. In my father's house are many what? Rooms. That the father has a house. And we are his family. And he's adding on rooms every day. In the Jewish custom of the way, when a daughter or son got married and they came to live with the parents, the parents' house, the estate, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to welcome these home. And the Father is going to welcome us home. It's not a matter that you've got this mansion, I've got that mansion. There is a place that is assigned for us in heaven and it's going to be perfect. And it's just for you. It says, having been predestined, since we were marked out beforehand, this is awaiting us, according to the purpose of Him, the predetermined plan of God that is being worked out and lived out every single day. It's called providence in Scripture. And understand about providence. Oftentimes we struggle over knowing the will of God and how to take the next step in our Christian journey. And that is a real challenge sometimes. Sometimes we make that harder than it is. It's hard enough already. But I'm going to tell you, for the most part, you're going to see God's plan not laid out before you. You're going to see how God has worked in your life by looking in the rearview mirror and see how God has led you you, how God has guided you, how God has protected you. Why? Because God is working out His purpose in your life, and He is working that. There is a divine energy that He is putting all that into effect. And sometimes when you experience real disappointments in your life, later on you're going to understand those disappointments and those closed doors were for your protection, that God was working even through the difficulties, and sometimes especially through the difficulties, that all these things are working according to the counsel, the design, and the determination of His will, His sovereign pleasure, His sovereign plan. For what purpose? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, hope is not wishful thinking. Remember, 
It's a confident assurance when you encounter that word in the New Testament. We were the first to put our confidence and our assurance in the Lord. We might be to the praise of His glory. Now remember why these words were especially important to the Ephesian believers. They were Gentiles. And remember that Jehovah was viewed as being a Jewish God. That Jesus was viewed as being a Jewish Messiah. And these first generation Gentiles, as the gospel came to them, as the apostle Paul came and evangelized in Ephesus, and if you remember how there was a great uproar and how so many people were getting saved, that it was changing the economy, the entire economy of this major city in the Roman Empire. For you see, this major city was the home, if you'll remember, of one of the seven wonders of seven wonders of the world. I can't count. Seven wonders of the world. There was the great statue uh, of Diana. There was the temple to Diana. And one of the main industries in the whole town were the silversmiths that made idols that when people made a pilgrimage to worship Diana, Aphrodite, the goddess of love, that they would come and they would buy these artifacts, they would buy these statue, statues, and that's what brought money into the city. And so many of those silversmiths started getting saved and got convicted about their very life, uh, their very lifestyle, their very source of income, making idols. They quit making idols. Can you imagine that salvation caused a person's lifestyle to change? That salvation caused them to walk away from whole careers in order to follow Christ? That's what happened. And it created such an uproar. There was a riot in the city. It was a great opportunity for the gospel. They drug Paul and Jason, one of the converts, into the Colosseum. And for hours, they heard the deafening chants of woo pig suey, right? That's what happens in a coliseum. Well, they were saying the, uh, the woo pig suey of the day in Ephesus, and it was great is Artemis, or great is Venus, or Aphrodite, the same person. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And here Paul, while everyone else, all the other Christians were fearing for their lives, he's saying, I could have never got an audience together like this no matter how hard I tried. He was just waiting for a chance to preach to them. Well, this city, these Gentiles who became believers, one of the questions they had was, do the blessings and the promises to the Jews also apply to us? That if there is a heaven for Jewish believers, and that, Jew, and that heaven is going to be all of these treasures and wonderful things that, that they say has been promised to them. What about to us? Well, Peter fleshed that out a little bit for us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. 
while Paul in this book is reminding the Gentile believers that guess what? In Christ, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. You are all one. In Christ, black, white, Republican, or Democrat, or independent. In Christ, you are all one in the Lord. And the rest of you that couldn't or wouldn't say amen to that, may God fix your heart so that you will. It's true that we've been made one in Christ. And Peter is promising and talking about that inheritance. Listen to what he said in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us, He has caused us, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So to all saved people, it is according to God's mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope, confidence, assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now listen to verse 4. He has caused us to be born again to an inheritance, an inheritance, heaven, and all the blessings that await us. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. God is guarding you. God is protecting you. God is preserving you to final salvation. You know what final salvation is? It is not only salvation from the penalty of sin. It is salvation from the very presence of sin when God calls us home, either through death or through the resurrection from the dead. When we are called home, that's when final salvation takes place, never to be in the presence of of sin and death again. Now notice what he said, that he has saved us to a living confidence, to an inheritance, and he gave us four qualities of our inheritance. Four things about your inheritance in heaven. First of all, it is imperishable. Imperishable. What in this life, in this world, is imperishable. Can you even think of anything? Everything in this world is subject to corruption and decay, is it not? Everything in this world is slowly but surely winding down, rusting out, wearing out, dissolving, fading, going away. In contrast, everything that God has in store for us is imperishable. It is as new today as it was in eternity past when God planned it and created it. And a million years from now, it will still be just as new as it is today. An imperishable home. You've all probably experienced buying a new uh, item of clothing that brought you 
great satisfaction for a while because you just knew you looked good in it, right? You've known what it's like to buy a new car, and you liked the way it looked when you went down the road in it, and you treasured it, and it was valuable to you. But slowly but surely, it got dirty, it got dense, it got run into, it began to wear out, it began to fade, it built up miles. Some of us know what it's like to go into a brand new home where you still smell the carpet. It's new. Where no child has yet to throw up on it. No dog is yet to have its accidents in it. And everything about it is just amazing. But then it starts to show signs of wear. The cracks appear. The new smell is gone. And though it's still home and you treasure it greatly, guess what? At the end of time, at the end of time, whatever is left, the Bible says in this world, it's going to burn up. At the end of time, this world that we have known is going to be burned completely up. That's why the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? And so nothing in this life is imperishable. And then he says it is undefiled. It is undefiled. That means it is unspoiled. It really kind of goes along with the first idea of being imperishable. Imperishable is the idea of temporary. Unspoiled or undefiled is the idea of not contaminated. What we have in Christ is free from anything that would deform, debase, or degrade. But all of our inheritance in Christ is free from all of that. He says it's unfading. It is an enduring possession. Your heavenly home is unfading. And in eternity, it will remain that way. Everything in this life, as brilliant and as wonderful and as beautiful as it is, my friend, when you wake up in heaven, listen to me now, you're going to see colors you've never seen before. You're going to smell smells you've never smelled before. You're going to hear sounds and music unlike anything you've ever heard in this life. Folks, there's songs and music. Music just affects me so deeply. It just stirs me. It brings me to tears. Even, even worldly music, beautifully done, can do that to you. But when you get to heaven, you're going to hear music, you're going to hear sounds, unlike anything that you ever heard in this life. It's going to move you. It's going to stir you. You're going to feel feelings that made the best feelings of this life seem like minor irritations compared to what is there. Why? Because that is an unfading. Our inheritance is not of this world. We can describe it with the best of our terms. We can imagine it. 
with uh, the wildest aspects of our imaginations. But understand, it can never be described. It can never be understood. It can never be imagined with anything in this life that you can compare it to. It's so much beyond. It is unfading. It is imperishable. It'll last forever. It is unspoiled and undefiled. It is unfading. The newness will never wear off. And then Peter said, it is kept for you. It is reserved. There's a reservation for you already in heaven. And did you know that some of you, if you do not know Christ today, if you have sons and daughters that do not know Christ today, grandchildren, little babies in the nursery that maybe do not know Christ yet, Did you know that for some of them, I pray all of them, I pray all of you, there's already a place reserved for you in heaven. When Peter came, or when Paul came to Corinth, after he finally left Ephesus, he made his way across the Aegean Sea into what is modern day Europe, and finally came down to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, he was pretty discouraged because there was so little response to the gospel in that wicked, wicked city. And as Paul was about to throw in the towel, as Paul was discouraged and about to move on to to better places, to greener pastures, to other places that needed to hear the gospel, Paul was praying, and the Spirit of God said to Paul, Paul, don't be discouraged. Don't give up yet. And God said to him these words in the King James, For I have much people in this city. I have much people in this city. Nobody had been saved yet. What was God talking about? What was the Lord saying to Paul? What did it mean that God had much people in this city? God was telling Paul what was going to happen because there were some that already had a reservation in heaven. They just hadn't got saved yet, but God was going to save them, and he was going to save them through the preaching of Paul, and he was telling Paul, keep on preaching, keep on preaching, keep on witnessing, keep on evangelizing, don't give up. In heaven where I am, it's already a done deal. There's going to be a great church built here. There's already people with a reservation. Now, my friend, listen to me. I pray for you there's already a reservation for you in heaven. For those of you who know Christ, there most definitely is. For someone who does not know Christ, perhaps there is. I pray that there is. And if you will give your life to Christ and fulfill God's calling to your life, there will be, and there is. So understand that this place is reserved. You know what that means about how we should live? Now listen, Christians. If there's an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, okay? If there is, first of all, if there's not, Let's just close up the book, leave your Bibles laying there, and go home and don't ever come back. Because if God's Word's not true, if God's Word... There you go, there goes one right there. That was bad, that was bad timing on my part, wasn't it? Because I knew it was about time, I knew. If it's reserved, 
If there is, and there is. What is the counsel to you and me? How should that affect how we live? If there is an imperishable, unspoiled, unfading uh, inheritance waiting for us in heaven, how should we live in this life? How should it impact how you live? Some of the best advice I ever heard given to Christian people was this simple statement. Don't put your tent stakes down too deep in this life. You understand the imagery there? When you put your tent stakes down too deep, when it comes time to pull up stakes and go, it's very hard to get those stakes back out, right? Sometimes, folks, listen to me because most of us, maybe all of us, are guilty of this. We are guilty of this as Christians, of putting our tent stakes down too deep in this life, of valuing temporary things of this life too much. We value too much our homes. We value too much our careers. We value too much our possessions. We value too much our plans. We value too much our ambitions. We value too much, you fill in the blank, our pastimes, our hobbies, our sports. Sometimes, listen to me now, we value too much our own families. Why? Why would I say something like that? Because the Lord said the first and great commandment is this. What is it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Even ahead of family. And some of us need to remember Jesus' injunction in Luke 17 when he said, Remember Lot's wife. You remember the story of Lot? You remember? And Jesus said in Luke 17, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. When it came time to flee Sodom, when it came time to run from the wrath to come, when it came time to follow the messengers of the Lord, which was a picture of God coming for his people, when it came time to follow the Lord and leave this life, and Lot and his wife and their daughters were making their way into the mountains before the fire and brimstone began to fall on that wicked city. You remember Lot's wife longed for what she was giving up. She longed for what she had in this life. And when she turned to look back because she loved her past more than she loved her future with God, because she loved the things of this world more than she loved the things of the next, she looked back and she was, in essence, longing and seeking to hold on to it. And at that moment, she turned to a pillar of salt. And she never inherited the blessing God had for her. I'm afraid some of us, if we knew 
or heard the word that Jesus might be coming today might be thinking, oh no, not yet. There's too much I still want to do in this life. There's too much that I have that I don't want to give up. And my friend, remember, your inheritance is not what you have now. It's what's coming, okay? So he gave us an inheritance. The fourth point in this outline, and I'll give it to you very quickly. He sealed us. He sealed us. Look at verse 13 and 14. In him, speaking of Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with a holy or with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, Really stick with me for just a few minutes and get this. We are sealed with the Spirit. I remember living with my grandmother and my grandfather in Mountain View, Arkansas when I was quite young. And we lived in a big old house that didn't have any kind of speck of insulation or air conditioning or anything. And uh, However hot it was outside, it was that plus 10 degrees inside. Some of you grew up that way too. And I remember in the summertime, in the hottest part of the year, because that's when the crops came in, that my grandma canned uh, fruit and vegetables for the coming the next winter. My favorites were canning, uh, her canning peaches and tomatoes. I love tomatoes. To this day, I think I could live on them. I'm trying to lay enough hints out when your garden start coming in. Bring your extras to me. It'll be okay. But uh, she would, it, it fascinated me I, as I watched her with that, in that hot, hot water, that hot bath canning process, those mason jars that were just pristine, clear, and she took those tongs and she took it out and, and she put that, that little lid on it and she lined them up like soldiers. And I would stand there to watch and listen that, that you couldn't predict it, but all of a sudden, pop, pop, snap. As, as the heat and the suction drew that lid down and sealed it, and you knew that it was preserved at that point. It was preserved. It would be good for months. It'd be good a year later if you wanted to, that it was sealed up. And so when I used to read this passage that, that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, I used, that was my first thought. That was my first thought. He's put us in that jar and sealed us up. In other words, hey, listen, that's a good thing, that we are preserved against the contamination of the world, that, that we are preserved and we are being kept for eternity. And I guess you can make some applications of that, but that's not what the picture is here. There's another kind of sealing. The word here to seal means to set a mark upon, to seal as one's own, to impress to make an imprint, a mark of acceptance, approval, and ownership. It's kind of like what the notary does when the notary seals important documents. It's not just that something was stuck on the paper that says that it has been approved, that all is right with the world, but they take that, that little whatever it is, seal thing, and they put the paper in, and they, it, they squeeze it, 
and it actually leaves an imprint you can feel where it presses into the paper. And the Bible says when we, in time and space, put our faith and trust in God, which was the fulfillment of what God had planned from eternity past, who God is the one who quickened our spirits, made us alive, because being dead in our sins, we couldn't do that on our own. We'll find that in chapter 2. But that he gave us the gift of faith for us to exercise in him, that, that it's all of God and not of us, that when that happened in time and space, the Holy Spirit came into our life and we were marked. We were sealed. There was an imprint made upon our lives that we belong to God. I want to tell you something, folks. That's special. You have that mark of God on your life. And day by day, as we walk in obedience to His will and His plans, as we seek to follow His word and conform our lives to Him, that mark that God can see in your life, seeing you like I can't see you or you can't see me, that's lived out in the choices we make and the decisions we make and the way that we live as Christ's children. But God knows those who are His. And when it comes time for a resurrection, God's going to find the bodies of everyone that was His and reunite them with their spirits. We celebrate today the day of the great landing on the beaches of Normandy where so many young men gave their lives. The average lifespan of every soldier that came out of a landing craft on those beaches at Normandy, the average lifespan was 13 seconds. But we just kept coming, and we kept coming, and we kept coming. But there were boys blown apart in battle that there was nothing to send home to mom and dad but a pair of dog tags. There have been others that went down in ships that nobody was ever found to send home. But no matter, no matter where they are, lying in a, in a grave in the Farmington Cemetery, blown apart on the battlefield in the beaches of Normandy, at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, are lost somewhere in a wilderness known only to God, understand God knows where every single one of His children is. And God will resurrect them on that last day. Why? Because there's the mark of the Holy Spirit on that life. It says that that mark of the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, it said who he is, he is the guarantee of our inheritance. God, when he saved you, put the Holy Spirit in your life to guarantee you that everything else that was promised to you is going to be yours someday. So the Holy Spirit's not just a testimony to others. The Holy Spirit is a testimony to you that everything God has promised you is going to come to pass. You know what that word guarantee means? It's the word earnest. Have you ever heard of earnest money? You and I know it more by the words down payment. 
God has put an earnest payment on your life. God has given you a down payment on heaven. The down payment on heaven is the Holy Spirit of God that resides inside your life, is your teacher, your guide, the one who will never leave you nor forsake you, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Some to experience now, but most to experience in the life to come. Amen? He chose us to the praise of His glory. He redeemed us and gave us an inheritance to the praise of His glory. He sealed us with the Spirit to the praise of His glory. Now I know, these are my closing word, I know that sometimes we think about heaven and all of that, and it's just kind of like pie in the sky when I die, right? What good is that to me now? I don't even know if that's really real. I'm not sure I have a lot of confidence, a lot of hope about heaven. It sounds just too good to be true. I've heard professing people say even these words. The idea of heaven, of floating around on a cloud and playing a harp, the whole idea just bores me to death. I'd rather go on living in this life than to even think about going there. That is such a weak and anemic idea of what heaven is all about. But if you are struggling with how your promise of an inheritance there and having the down payment, the Holy Spirit marking your life here, guaranteeing you that, if you're wondering how that can benefit you today, listen to these words. These are the very words that followed Hebrews chapter 11 when I talked about those who suffered for the cause of Christ of those who experience horrible things in this life of whom this world is not worthy. The very next chapter, which wasn't another chapter, it was a continuation of the same story, says this. Therefore, therefore, because of that truth, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What is he saying? He's envisioning the Olympic Games. These men and women that suffered for their faith, they all ran their race. They are now in the stands. They are the witnesses and we who are living, we are the ones now about to run our race. Lay aside every sin, every weight that might slow you down. And let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now listen closely. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one in whom our faith depends from beginning, from first steps of this race to the very last steps of the finish line the perfecter of our faith, listen to what it said about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners 
such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What is he saying? He's saying, for the joy set before him, for the inheritance that he knew he was going to go home to, because Jesus had his eyes set on his Father's throne and all of the wonderful glories of heaven, Jesus, having his eyes fixed on that, was willing to endure anything and everything he went through in this life, in his journey to get to that place. My friend, it ought to do the same thing for you. Remember your riches. Remember your heavenly home. Remember what awaits you. And so in the meantime, in this life, whatever kind of pain, whatever kind of opposition, whatever kind of hostility, whatever temptation to give up, don't give up. Because of what awaits you at the finish line, run with faith and run with endurance and run with confidence. Count your many blessings. That'll keep you going in this life. Amen. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of heaven. Thank you for these people that I get to make the journey with. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.